today, I want to want to talk to you about a passage of Scripture that really just simply, this passage focuses in, so if you can turn to Genesis chapter 45, and there's one verse in there, but there's a phrase that we have that I want us to focus on. So go ahead and turn to that passage of Scripture as we have it there. Today's message is entitled, Remember God's Plan. We get shaken and there's all too often too many times that we get led astray or we, we lose track of what the real plan that God has for us. I was talking with a friend of mine last night over dinner and he said, you know, as, as Christians and as churches, we, we do people in injustice. Because whenever they come to the altar and they receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we tell them and we say that your life is going to be better. So basically, we just simply back up this truck of blessings and love uh, that's going to be poured out upon you. And we say, hey, your life is going to be fine from now on since you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But we know through Scripture and we know through our lives that that's not the fact. There are some things that are fact and some things that we need to hold tight to and that we need to make sure that we do not lose. And that is going to be in today is that we cannot lose track of what God's plan is. And what is God's plan? This morning's message is going to be about God's love from us, but we're going to look at the life of Joseph to be able to see God's love for us. So turn to Genesis, you're already there, I've given you the opportunity, Genesis 45, verse 5, and it reads this way in the New Living Translation, but do not be upset and do not be angry with with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. Now, why was Joseph there? So this is about the story of Joseph. So why was Joseph in Egypt? Was Joseph in Egypt to save the Israelites? No. Why was Joseph in Egypt? To preserve life. God's plan in this particular point was not just simply to save Joseph. It wasn't to save Jacob or Israel or his family. It wasn't just simply to save the Egyptians. It was to save or to preserve life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came to this earth not just to save the Jews, but to save life. Paul in Romans chapter 5 verses or chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 tells us that salvation is for everyone that believes in the word of God and that professes Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior with his mouth. So that's anyone. Everyone. Every single person that was born or created on this earth God had a plan to redeem them before time even began. 
to help you out with this, I'm going to take off my glasses. Because whenever I take off my glasses, all the faces, except for the young gentleman that's sitting up front, is blurry. I can't even see the words that's on the back wall. Well, I can see the big words on the back wall. But the words for the scripture and stuff, I can't read those without my glasses. So whenever we look at this and whenever we enter into our life, we have a set of lenses that we look at the world through. We look at the world through what we have been taught and what we have learned from our parents, from our teachers throughout kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. If you went on to college, if you went to a technical school, you've learned from there. If you moved out and you went into the work world, you still learned. I am still learning things today. Believe it or not, I am still learning things today. But we learn and we see, but we, we learn through the lenses that we look at or that we look through. So I have my, can't even see y'all out there, but I can see the words right here. So whenever we look at this, and I want you to pull, I'm going to pull this in, because whenever we see this, the faith that we have, the saving faith that we have, comes from the belief in God's Word. We believe that the Word of God, His Scripture that we have, we read this and we believe it. We listen to our friends tell us the stories. We listen to them and we hear them. So our philosophy and our belief comes from God's Word. So we look at things through the lenses of God's Word. But whenever the world comes along and we're growing up, we then begin to look at things through the world's view. So we put these on and we can see way out there, but these close things kind of get blurry. The things that we've been taught, God's word that we have, it begins to get blurry and we begin to follow the worldly things. But then what do we do? We come and we take these little glasses and we say, okay, God, I've wandered away from you. I'm going to come back to you. So I'm going to take God's words glasses and I'm going to put those on. But we've been taught by the world, so we have to put the worldly glasses on. And we're trying to figure life out. And now I can absolutely see nothing. Because the close is blurry because I have the far on. And the far is blurry because I have the close on. So everything is blurred. So I'm trying to live this life as I'm trying to live it through God's word. But yet God's word is blurred because I am looking at it through the worldly view. Whew, man, that preaches. Through the worldly view. So what we have to do is we have to take off the world's lenses and begin to look at life through God's word. And whenever we look at the life through God's word, it does not tell us that we're going to have a rose garden. It tells us that we're going to live a life that is stressed. 
Joseph was sent to Egypt before his brothers, before his family, to preserve life because there was a famine that was going to come on, and the famine was going to last seven years. Joseph makes this statement to his brothers two years within the famine. So they still had five more years to go with the famine whenever his family was coming to Egypt to get food because they were about to die in the promised land. So we see this and we've got to pull all of this in to be able to find out and see what this life is that God really has for us. In the midst of this life that we have for God, there's struggles that happen to us or that come upon us because there's someone else that's in this world that is creating chaos and trouble for us. For Joseph, it was his brothers, right? Joseph had issues with his brothers. His brothers are the one that captured him whenever his father sent him out there to see what they were doing. He had to go all the way out to Dothan to be able to find his brothers. He finds them out there in Dothan, and what do they do? They capture him, they throw him into a cistern, or they throw him into a pit. How many of y'all remember that little poster and stuff that showed a pit, okay? And there was a guy that was down in the bottom of the pit, and it had seeds, and, or not seeds, it had cherries in there. Y'all remember that? Okay, all right. I had a class that was taught by Zig Ziglar, you know, good in, good out. You know, so if your pit is full of cherries, I guess that's why I like cherries so much. Uh, you know, your life is roses, right? It's, it's all great because you have all these cherries in there. You can just eat them all you want. No, like he was thrown into, I'm sorry, I diverse really quick there, but he was thrown into the pit. And you remember Reuben told him to throw him into the pit because he wanted to come back and save him later on, save him later on so he could go back to his father. Reuben did something that was right, but whenever Reuben came back, he was no longer in the pit because the brothers, the other brothers, as they were sitting there eating lunch, they saw this merchant train going along. So they sold him into the train. They sold him, and that's how he made it, made his way into Egypt. So Joseph began to suffer, not because of something that he did. Well, wait a minute. Joseph had part in this, didn't he? Because Joseph was a tattletale. Joseph went out into the field one day with his mom or with his brothers. And what did he do? They did something that was bad, so he went running to dad. How many of you have ever done that or have ever had a brother do that? Yeah, you know, hey, I, you know, I'm the baby of the family, and I never did anything like that. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So Joseph... So Joseph kind of created it a little bit here. Now, there was also something on the outside factoring in on this as well, right? What about his dad, Jacob? Jacob kind of poured fuel on that fire, right? Joseph kind of puts a little spark to it whenever he tattles on his brothers. And then his dad really puts fuel to the fire whenever he gives him this special robe. If you're interested in where this is, this is all coming from uh, Genesis 37. 
those first three verses right there. He gives him this beautiful colored robe. The colors on it tells us that it was worth it, that it was well made, and his father spent a lot of money on it because it had multiple colors in it. The other thing that we find out from this is, is that the sleeves on it was long and it was draped all the way down to his feet. So he was not going to be out in the field doing any type of sheeping or herding of sheep whatsoever. All that hard work was left to his brothers. Y'all just like that, right? I remember I was too young to cut the grass. So my brother had to cut the grass. Now it was very short-lived that I had that opportunity. I didn't have that ability to, to do that. I know it wasn't because my dad loved me more than my brother. But how do we look upon people that don't work or don't do the work that, that we do? Okay, so here's the ouch then, because we do it to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I do this for God. Why don't you do it? I've taught Sunday school for 40 years. Why can't you teach Sunday school? I'll quit meddling. Let me actually get into the message. Faith, saving faith, comes from believing in God. Comes from looking through the right lenses. Paul says that if we have faith in God and we receive Him as our Lord and Savior... And we profess Him. Now it's not only, it's, it's, it's this fact that we believe in Him, we believe in His Word, but then whenever we believe, it makes a difference in our lives that we then actually profess what we believe. So let's look through Joseph's life. So he's been sold into slavery. And he goes and we find him that he gets into Potiphar's house. And every single thing that he does in Potiphar's house, it multiplies or it's blessed by God. So God is blessing Joseph. And as he's blessing Joseph, he's blessing Potiphar. And his house begins to... So Joseph moves from one, one hierarchy place to another, to another. And then we find that he becomes second in command over Potiphar's house, Joseph tells Potiphar's wife that there is absolutely nothing that my master withholds from me in his house except for you. So in other words, he had control of all the other slaves. He had control of the food that was brought in. He had control of the animals, the cattle, the field, all of those. Joseph had control over it. All except for his wife. And his wife tempts him and Joseph flees. So then she falsely accuses him and then he goes into prison. And then we find as Joseph's in prison that he then begins to move up in the ranks of the prison. Now, I don't understand the prison system back then, but Joseph actually became where he was pretty much second in command over the prison because the only person that was over him would have been the guard that was over that prison that he was in, that area that he was in. God saw favor on him and blessed him. But it wasn't easy. 
You remember the robe that we just got through talking about? I imagine that whenever the scripture says that Joseph was pleasant to look at, he was handsome, I bet you he had that nice olive complexion, nice smooth skin that all women want to have. I bet you there was not a callous one on his hands, but now he's been sold into slavery. He's worked. There's now calluses on his hands. His beautiful robe is nothing but a distant memory. We see that as he moved up in the ranks in Potiphar's house that everything seemed like it was going great. And next thing you know, he's, he's back into the prison, into the dungeon. And then we find that as he's there in the dungeon and he's, you know, this is not pleasant things. You know, they, they didn't know anything about prison rights back then. I imagine that there was rats the size of dogs or cats in those days back you know, underneath there that he was with. And he was there with that. They didn't get a shower every morning. They didn't have soap on a rope or not on a rope. It was not a pleasant place to be. But God was still with him. Whenever Joseph interpreted the dreams for the baker and for the cupbearer, who did he say gave him the ability to do that? God. He always, regardless of where Joseph was in his life, whether he was in Potiphar's house, he gave God the glory. Or he was in the dungeon in prison, he gave God the glory. Or whenever he was at Pharaoh, he gave God the glory. I, you know, we have to understand that the people of those days knew about God. They knew about Joseph's God. The God that created all things. The God that sustains all things. They, he, they knew about him. Joseph moved up through the ranks. And we see that God's hand was always upon him. But why was God's hand upon him? To preserve life. Not for Joseph. It wasn't for Jacob or Israel or his family. Scripture says, and some of the translations says that it was for Egypt. Because at that point in time, Egypt pretty much controlled the whole world. As far as where they were and the scope of where people were. But we look at this and God is telling us that, again, that salvation is for every single person. Everyone that believes on Him. The world. The world that we're living in today. It's struggling. Uh, you know, we, we have people today that's trying to rewrite history books. You can, you can take a name out of the history books. You can remove a monument. But it doesn't diminish the work that has been done. 
Now, I understand. Now, don't get me wrong. There's statues of Washington that's been taken down. There's statues and all these things that's being taken down. Yes, slavery. Yes, slavery is bad. Uh, you know, but they did it. But they did a lot of good things. George Washington, the first president of the United States, and how he brought us together, how we were able to come out of the tyranny of the British government and their rule to be able to come and to be able to know the United States as we know it today. If it wasn't for George Washington, or if it wasn't for George Washington and God's hand being upon him, where would we be at? Those group of people in those days that you're trying to get rid of, where would we be? Yes, they did bad, but they also did good. That brings me to that verse chapter 37 begins the story of Joseph. Chapter 38 kind of takes a break in Joseph's life and begins to talk about a woman by the name of Tamar. Do any of y'all remember Tamar? Tamar was the wife of one of Reuben's sons that died before she was able to have or give birth to a son. Now, in those days, you had to have a son to be able to have someone to provide for you because a woman, she wasn't going to get out there in the fields and she wasn't going to work and she wasn't going to have any worth whatsoever because her worth came from her male sons. So from there, the, you know, the law said that that Reuben's brother, or that the son of Reuben, that his brother is supposed to marry her so that she would then heir or give birth to a son so that she would have someone to produce for. Uh, you know, well, he dies before she does this. And then Reuben is there and he's like, oh, wait a minute, I've already lost two sons to her. Kind of like the Black Widow thing, right? You know, I've lost two sons to her, so I'm not going to make my youngest son marry her because he might die. So Reuben doesn't do what the law says he's supposed to do. So Tamar goes in and she tricks Reuben and she dresses like a harlot, a prostitute, has sex with him. I'm sorry if there's any young people there. Has sex with him, becomes pregnant, and then he, is, he puts her back into her right place because he was wrong. He redeemed her, restored her name. Now, pastor, why in the world are you telling me about this crazy woman in this here? Because she is part of the lineage of King David. And King David is part of the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone that was broken. Tamar. What she did wasn't right. But why she did it became righteous, and then she became part of the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not only that, we look at David. David had an affair with Bathsheba. David killed Bathsheba's wife so that he could have her as his wife. Not only an adulterer, but a murderer. He is part of the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can't get away from it, regardless of how much the world wants to, as, as much as they want to get rid of God. Everything that we have, our moral code of righteousness and justice comes from God. 
You can't say it doesn't because I'm an atheist because God put it in you whenever he created you. You know right from wrong. We just simply refuse to do it. And just because we refuse to do it doesn't mean that God didn't place it there to begin with. I don't care if, if you believe in the Big Bang Theory, and I think this is interesting. There's more and more people that are going in and saying that uh, you know, if the Big Bang Theory really happened, somebody or something had to cause the Big Bang. So whether or not you believe that the heavens and the earth was created in six days, or you believe that it was a Big Bang, somebody created the Big Bang, or somebody created the heavens and the earth in six days. God either created the Big Bang, or God created heaven and earth in six days. You can't do away from it. Our vision in the way that we look through things has to be looked through through the lenses of God Almighty, because He started it all. And what did He start? He started a plan for salvation for every single person that lives on this earth, or that has ever lived on this earth, or that will ever live on this earth. Salvation comes from the one that created it all. Because of his son, Jesus Christ, that lived on this earth for 33 years, that died on the cross, was crucified, was dead and buried for our sins, our transgressions, but on the third day rose again. So that we would have a right relationship with God the Father. And as Paul says, if we believe that in our heart and we confess it with our tongues, then we are saved. But we look through the world, through God's lenses, not through the worldly lenses. And we definitely can't look through both. It's one or the other. We either look through God's lenses or we look through the world's lenses. You can't do both. You can't do both. Let's stop trying to rewrite history. And let's allow God to move in our hearts and in our lives so that we can make history. So that we can make history for Him. Psalms 105 is written as a remembrance. It tells us that it is God's faithfulness is its title. The very next chapter, Psalms 106, is God's people asking for forgiveness. Because they didn't follow Him. As the one and true Lord and Savior. Yeah, we've messed up. All of us have. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've put on these glasses and looked at people 
and looked at the circumstances and the situations in my life. I even sat here this morning praying and talking to God. And then I complained. And he said, John, he said, whose eyes are you looking through? I had to take my glasses off. Number one, because I was crying so much. But whenever we begin to look at our lives through our glasses, we begin to try to fix them. But whenever we look at our lives through God's glasses, through His lenses, we know that we're saved because of who He is, because of what He's done. Because of the salvation that He has provided for every single person. For every single person. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the words that you have given to us here. I thank you for the story of Joseph and how we read there in Genesis 45, 5, that you sent him before to save or to preserve life. You sent, their, you sent your son to this earth to preserve life. God, I pray, dear Lord, that each person that is here today or watching on the, on the TV, God, that they would accept your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. Because he died on the cross for everyone to save us from our sins. To save us from this world. To save us from Satan's schemes. We thank you. We praise you. Amen.